This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Do you ever hear the word change maker and think, not me? Well, my next guest might make you think otherwise. Let's talk to her. Thank you so much for coming to talk with us today. Let's start off with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, hey, my name is Marthea Pitts. I am known on the internet streets as the MSW coach. I specifically help social workers pivot from case management to macro social work roles. And so what macro social work is, is basic social impact, social change roles. But I not only help social workers, I work largely with other professions and majors. And I'm just on a mission to really teach people you can have intentionality behind your work and you truly can take the lead in designing careers of your dreams. And I know some people love to say like, you should never dream of work, right? But my response to that is, have you ever worked a job that you cried going to and coming back home from? I have. And when you've experienced something like that, you better be dreaming of something better. So I hope people really reimagine their careers. I'm originally from Palm Beach County, Florida, South Florida. 561 area code. And I lived there for the majority of my younger years, all the way up until like the last few years of high school. And then my family relocated to North Florida, Tallahassee, Florida, the capital. And I've been here ever since. So really, this is my second home. But I've moved away like once before and I lived on the east coast of Florida. But really, Palm Beach County and Tallahassee is home. So, Oh my gosh, very cool. Okay, so talk to us about... At what point can someone identify that they need to be the the leader, the one to speak up at their job and start essentially being the change maker? Great question. I would say an indicator that it's <laughs> the responsibility probably lies on you if it gets physically uncomfortable and also morally uncomfortable for you to sit in the spaces and just go along with the status quo way of being. And that's what I experienced in working on the front line in my career where it was just like, 
I ethically no longer could just sit quiet and go with what was being done to my clients. And so I think if it really affects you on a deeper level, like I know there's some people out in the world that as long as they're getting their paycheck, they are good, right? But there's a large percentage of people who do have ethics and codes that they go by. So if it physically disturbs you, emotionally disturbs you, mentally bothers you, then the onus is on you to say something. And, you know, there's covert and overt ways that you can do that. You don't have to be out on the front, on the picket lines with the sign, right? It could be things as small as suggesting or even creating changes in the system within your organization. It could be you leading task force. Now we want to avoid performative type things, right? We don't want to do things just to check a box, right. but really making certain and holding people accountable for doing the thing that they say they're going to do. Yeah. And did you find yourself doing that in your workplaces? Yes, yes. You know, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, (laughs) So I actually was just meeting with someone and I was telling them about how working as a case manager, as a career counselor in a regional workforce board, I will oftentimes circumvent the policy that was in place. And the example that I told them, just being funny, because I think I'm one of the funniest people that I know. (laughs) I was like, um, you know, the policy would say that my career seeker could only get two bus passes. And I live in a city, Tallahassee in 2017, was identified to be the most economically segregated city in the nation. I didn't know this. That was the same year that I was working on the front lines as a career counselor case manager. And so what that would look like was I live in a city where mass transportation is non-existent. It's a rural town. They like to think that it's a big city, but it's a rural town. And so the policy would say that my career seekers could only get two bus passes every two weeks. <laughs> a two, two wow. bus passes in a city where mass transportation is non-existent does nothing for anyone, especially if you're using the bus to get back and forth to work every day, which was a requirement of being in the program that I work within. So what that would look like mm-hmm. was, I'm going to give you four bus passes. I'm going to give you five. Come back next week. I'll give you two more. Right. So mm-hmm. I would circumvent the system, which oftentimes social workers do, right. but because I knew that it was just like, just a policy on paper and that I could justify doing it. But it wasn't even a point of, can I justify this action? It was more of, this is the right thing to do. If I'm really here to make certain that my career seekers are getting into employment positions where they're able to achieve lifelong self-sufficiency, then they need to have the proper supports in place to do that. Right. And I feel like in a lot of service work, like social work, you're using your instincts, right? The instincts you've learned and honed over time. You're using your education, all of you've learned in the system. And still you can get in trouble for circumventing. You can get in trouble for taking the initiative, even if it is to better or to help, you know, the people you're serving. Why is that, you think? Like, why do a lot of service-oriented groups, nonprofits, government services still kind of push the line and be like, well, you know, you're not supposed to do that, and then we're going to take it further? Okay. So you just want me to get on my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't make sense, right? It's like, I'm already in this profession not being paid well, for most people would say, right? And sacrificing all these things, having trouble sleeping after the stories you're hearing and, you know, the people you've interacted with. And you still won't let me just do my job and trust my judgment? Because there's big business in the pain and suffering of people. 
why would we really truly want to solve the problem when we can carry this on decade after decade by just what we like to say in social work, putting a Band-Aid on the problem, on a wound that needs surgery? We're just going to triage. We're just going to give you yeah. enough to get through the next few days, right? So even though it's a nonprofit, even though it's a social service agency, it's still a business and it's still operated in that manner, right? It's a bureaucratic structure, system, all of the things. They get paid for services by their funders. So that's why, because it's still a business. And why would we really want to solve the problem that will put us out of business? You know, change making, it can be really hard when you've had trauma involving the work that you're already doing or just because of the way you look. So can you talk to us a little bit about being the one who wants to change things when you're a Black woman? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I just want to say that I am becoming more and more aware of how career trauma is truly affecting people. And when I talk about career trauma, that includes anything under the sun from microaggressions, a passive aggressive supervisor, being passed over for promotions, being fired, all of the things. Um, because I have really close friends of mine who also were my colleagues at different points in my career who are still trying to rebound. And they were beasts mm -hmm. at what they did. Like they were the best of the best and they have yet to recover from it. So what I would say for me personally in my own career journey, what really helped prepare me for the mission that was given to me, <laughs> that's what I always say, because <laughs> I hired a leadership coach, right? And I, and I was very strategic about the leadership coach that I hired because she was someone that I had worked with in the past and she has worked in Fortune 500 companies, done training, all of the things. And so I wanted to work with her and she's a black woman. And so I wanted to work with her because I knew that she had experience in being in those spaces and being the only one. So for me, what worked for me was really having a very clearly laid out professional development plan. That's that whole career coach in me coming out to really identify like what are the things that you need to strengthen or fortify yourself around to prepare you for the work. Now, will it always be easy? No, <laughs> no, it won't. But but what I'm realizing, though, is that a lot of that preparation that I did is making it for me where it's not as like such a severe blow when it happens because I'm already prepared. Mm -hmm. I already right. know this is going to happen. I already know how to navigate the space because as much as we may not want to give credit to our elders and the people that come before us, all of this is just a repeat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it looks right. different in a different year, but all of it is a repeat. So I really look to those who came before me for guidance and even people that are my age because there are people that have experienced things that I haven't. So for me, a lot of like community and coaching really helps me navigate the space. And then also making certain that I'm keeping my professional and my personal life separate as much as possible. Can you tell us just like one incident that you've had where you've pushed back on something and maybe it wasn't well received? Oh, yeah. I got a <laughs> <laughs> like, I got a hundred. <laughs> I got a lot of those. Um, so in my case management days, I worked at a nonprofit. This is before I started doing macro work. And there was a hurricane coming to North Florida. And this is around the time where 
we hadn't been hit by, there was like a few years in a row where we were hit by hurricanes. And this was the first hurricane of like that span of time. And so I was um, the coordinator over a specific area of the shelter that I worked at. And so the higher ups were proposing to keep my participants in the house, which was old, outdated. The lights would go out when the wind blew hot, like just blew on a regular Tuesday afternoon. And you want them to stay in that house by themselves because I didn't stay on site. And so I remember calling my director who had just recently left her position to go to another shelter. And it was like eight, nine at night. And I was like, hey, um, (laughs) this is the situation that's going on because she always said I could reach out to her if anything Mm. came up. I said, I don't feel comfortable with what they're proposing. And so I talked with her and she was like, do whatever you feel is best for the participants. She was like, message them back in the text message and let them know what you are proposing. So I did just that. So I proposed, and this was a text message that went to the CEO, the second in command, all of the above. And so I was like, I don't feel comfortable with leaving the participants. I'm going to take them to the other site. And yeah, (laughs) and I did just that. So they politely removed me from the, um, the text message. Like, yeah, removed me. And then, well, after the hurricane went away, or like it was the next day, they politely moved my people back up to where they were. But my people were safe that first night. They were safe in the hurricane. So yeah. I experienced things like that. And so I'm used to being the, the outlier. Mm. Like I always go left and everybody else go right. So <laughs> that's one example. But there's been many where, yeah, people are like, here go Marthea with this foolishness again. Right. They're like, uh, Marthea has left the group chat. <laughs> Dang, not a removal. She is gone. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it seems like when you are kind of working in these spaces and you realize, all right, this isn't aligning with what I think should be happening. You can do kind of the everyday smaller things like, let me bend the system here a little bit. Let me give an extra bus pass here, right? And then you can also at the same time or maybe separately be doing other things to completely change the policy itself, right? I feel like a lot of people want to do that, but they don't think they are the people for it. They think someone else is going to come along who's better equipped and more knowledgeable and they're going to be the one to do that. So I'll stay over here doing quote unquote, what I can, but you know, they really probably have the potential to do more. What do you say to people who are a little nervous about that? There's no one better to do it than you. And a large part of the reason why you can't see that you have the ability to be the change or to affect the change is because you are in positions where you're not being exposed to how your work on the front lines connects to much larger work. So what I do with my career coaching clients is show them how your work is connected to larger efforts that's being done nationally, internationally. And so it's a lot of unlearning because they think they're just doing the task. They're just keeping a case file. They're just seeing a client. No, what you're doing is connected to some type of federal law policy that's in place that says you have to see these people X number of times and provide them with these types of services. And so when I say that there's no one better than you to do it in your service to them, you see where the gaps are. You see where the silos are happening. You see where the equity issues lie in these systems and policies and procedures. And there's nobody better than you to work to address them 
or get rid of them, fix them because you know the problem intimately, right? You talk to the people that are experiencing the problem day in and day out. We would love for national organizations that are doing change work to center the voices of the people experiencing the problem. That's the first go-to. But we know in reality that does not happen. So I always say that the second best person to do that is the people that work with the actual people experiencing the problem who are in the systems that are broken and not fair because you know where the gaps are. When it comes to creating policies and practices and all of the things, they're created by people at the top who have never worked in the actual field. So they are coming from a very disconnected place of, we should do this. They don't know. That's just something they're coming up with. They don't know how it really actualizes in the people's lives that are being served. But you do because you're talking to them every day. They're the people that you're serving. They're telling you very intimate details about what they're really facing. I always tell the story that in workforce development, they love to tout the like message of people don't have jobs because of deficiencies on their part. No. <laughs> like, And so what that looks like is an atypical workforce development program will say people need to know how to dress for success. They need to know how to interview. They need to know how to write resumes. No, what they need is living wages. What they need is quality jobs in their cities, not seasonal employment. What they need is opportunities to low-cost education, if not free, right? So that's why people that work on the front lines really are the perfect ones to be engaged in change-making work. Yeah, this is reminding me, this reminds me of that show, Undercover Boss. Do you know that show? Yeah. Okay, like, because when you said that people at the top have never actually done the job, (laughs) they have no clue what it takes. I feel like the people leading these agencies need to actually go and start from the very beginning of those jobs and have to sit there and learn how to do every job, have real life experiences in order for them to even be able to have those executive roles. I agree. I've said in many meetings where national leaders are like, oh, we're going to do this, this and this. And then I'm always the one to lean in and say, so how many staff people are you going to have doing this work? Oh, (laughs) one part-time person. And you want them to go to the people's houses. You want them to pass out flyers. You want them to go to every school in the region, right? Right. So disconnected. They've never done it. They will admit that they've never done it. And they struggle with identifying what's truly needed. There are lots of leaders out there that admit that they don't know. And so, again, that's why I really push for um, change makers to get into larger spaces. Yeah. And it seems like the hiring practice, right? What would happen if those people making those decisions at the top had actually experienced long-term unemployment before, had experienced, you know, what it's like to not have a vehicle and have to rely on public transportation in a system where the transportation sucks, <laughs> you know? Like what, what would it be like if they actually hired based off of life experience? Yeah, it would be a different place. If they did experience it, my like sheer observation of people after they've overcome whatever it is after a while it's easy for people to forget that is yep that's true I guess we see that a lot with folks so if people are in their jobs and they want to be policy change makers what do you think the first steps would look like for them to make those huge changes so When it comes to policy work, you could start small, right? And I say small, but it's still big. But if you want to just get your feet wet, you can join a local special task force or commission appointed 
committee in your county or your parish or wherever you live. And so like each city or county has these task force. It can be around women and girls issue. It can be around affordable housing. You can join those as a volunteer. You usually have to be appointed by the board of commissioners or whoever the regulating entity is over that, but it's still volunteer. And so it's a great introduction to start engaging in conversations regarding policy, specifically policies that affect the everyday people, right? So really being on those boards where they're coming up with, let's stay with the example of affordable housing, where they're coming up with like how many designated affordable housing units will they make available in the city or county this year? What would be, you know, the requirements to make that happen? And again, you would be there as the change maker to make certain that the things that are being created are fair and equitable. I I recently served on an affordable housing commission appointed board and even just the actual sheer attending and participating on that commission. I posed to the group one time I was because they it was the issue around people not attending the meeting. And I was like, well, uh, have you ever thought about having the meeting after 5 p.m. when people are off work? This is a volunteer type thing. That was like, oh, wow. No, we re- never really thought about that. Um, oh, or even having it where people could attend virtually. They said that wasn't feasible, though, because in Florida, <laughs> there is a rule that says that all meetings like that have to be in person. But we still could maybe have it in the evening to make it more accessible. But yeah, you can start with smaller opportunities. Also, just to be clear, like change making work doesn't just entail policy. Like you can be a change maker with creating a new app or creating um, new opportunities. So like an example of that would be, I am really intrigued with environmental work, right? I saw a whole documentary a few months ago about industrial farming and about how industrial farms are always, if not typically located in historically marginalized communities. And so how the industrial farming byproducts of that whole process causes increased rates of asthma in Black communities because of like all of the byproducts that are coming from mass producing these cows. That was the example they gave. So I'm really like on a mission to get some change makers into the environmental space of how can we create regulations or maybe like a cleaner farming system? I don't know. That's not my area of specialty, but still we need people that do know about those things to be at the table to advocate for the populations that they're most passionate about. Definitely. Is there anything else you would like the audience to know about changing things in their workplaces? Yeah, I just want to say again, I want to emphasize that anyone can be a change maker. You could work in the hospitality industry. You can work in law. Wherever you are, you can be a change maker. And it can be little changes, right? That are a snowball effect. Just the way that maybe you engage with the people that you serve, or maybe if you see that a policy that's in place internally really isn't fair to everyone, you can suggest that it be changed or lead that work. But I just want to say like change-making work isn't only done by one profession. It's done by all of us. And it really takes 
a village. And that's the village of everybody to make it better for everyone else. And this was really identified in the height of the pandemic because there was a lot of like, why are people leaving the workforce, especially in the world of workforce development at the height of the pandemic? And research was showing that people wanted more meaning behind their work. They wanted to be in value aligned positions and with employers. So I just want to say that if that is you, you can create opportunities like that in your career. Yeah. Okay. So before we go. I want to play a little game. I've been playing with the guests this season. I'm just going to say a word or phrase, and you just tell me like the first feelings that come up when you hear it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and they're random, completely random. So you're going to be like, what? Um, daylight savings time. I love it. Do you? Yeah. When it gets, um, when it stays light longer, right? When it stays light longer. Okay. That <laughs> part of it. You like that part. <laughs> Yes. Okay. I thought you were meaning like the other way around. Like, oh no, it's dark. <laughs> okay. Um, free therapy. I I think it's good. I try not to get too far into the clinical side of things, so I'll just say it could be a good thing. Okay. TikTok. I need to get on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? It's a lot going on over there. Right. Um, breakfast. This is my favorite meal. It brings me joy. Is it? Oh, me too. <laughs> um, human resources. Critical piece of any organization. Cat. I'm not a pet lover. Oh, interesting. Meditation. I do it every day. I have to. Great. Um, coffee. I'm a tea drinker, so I'm shaking my head. My feelings. Oh, yeah. Oh, tea drinker. Okay. Um, and last but not least, equity. Required. It's a non-negotiable. I guess the motion behind that would be it's what's right. There we go. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I'm sure it's inspired people to be like, let me get up and start doing something. Because <laughs> I can't keep watching things just happen that aren't right. Right. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me be on your platform. Thank you, Marthea. Be the change you want to see. I know it sounds cliche, but it really takes everyday people, you and me, to change work environments and structures, policies, and lives. Have a good week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 